Some of you only need to look across the dinner table to find your closest connection to agriculture. Others of us need to look a little further back to find our farming family. My name is Portia Stewart. All four of my great-grandparents were farmers. But by my grandfather's generation, only my grandfather was still in agriculture. Now, like many Americans, I have no more farmers in my family. This made me wonder, have consumers lost their connection to the land? And have farmers lost their connections with consumers? Let's see if we can make some new connections. Welcome to Overheard, the Farm Journal Livestock podcast that connects the hearts and minds of producers and consumers to preserve our sustainable resources and provide high-quality food. show with Have You Heard, the latest in livestock news. Many farmers say they're less likely to attend live events this year, citing risks associated with the new coronavirus and social distancing restrictions. A May 2020 Farm Journal survey explored farmers' sentiments on attending live events into the fall. Data revealed farmers were less comfortable with in-person events, and some anticipated changing their behaviors and plans. For example, while 48% of respondents said they previously attended the Farm Progress Show, only 14% said they were planning to attend this year. Farmers also rated their top alternatives to in-person attendance, selecting all that applied. 31% said they would engage with virtual field days with product and technology exhibits, while 29% were interested in virtual agronomic educational sessions. Interest in Virtual commodity marketing education sessions was also cited by 29% of respondents, and 17% said they would engage with VIP equipment demonstrations with ride and drives. When asked about their technology adoption, about 54% of farmers said they have engaged in online platforms such as Zoom, GoToMeeting, and other phone and computer software. The survey asked which, if any, of the following have farmers used either for personal or farm purposes within the last 60 days. Respondents marked all that applied. While 38% reported using webinars, 48% said they've used Zoom, GoToMeeting, or similar phone and and computer meeting platforms. About 37% used FaceTime or its equivalent, and 24% used another electronic virtual tool. As state fairs and live events continue to announce postponements and cancellations, farmers are looking for ways to connect online, including options like virtual livestock shows and virtual field days. To find out more, visit agweb.com. Today, Overheard has a special guest host, Jennifer Scheich, editor of Farm Journal's Pork. She'll be speaking with Tyler Norvell, president of Onward Endowment, Oklahoma Youth Expo, and Clay Zwilling, CEO, National Swine Registry. So Tyler, tell me about yourself and what you do. I am the president of the Oklahoma Youth Expo here in Oklahoma City. Uh, I grew up in Oklahoma, went to Oklahoma State University, 
And I was on the livestock judging team there and then went to work for Oklahoma Farm Bureau as a lobbyist out of college. Then in January of 2012, took over as the executive director of the Oklahoma Youth Expo. In that role, uh, I'm, I'm in charge of overseeing a $4 million budget for the Oklahoma Youth Expo and overseeing the, uh, the, the show team that we have here. But my main goal would be working with the board of directors and fundraising. Clay, tell us about yourself and what you do at the National Swine Registry. Good afternoon, uh, Jennifer. Uh, my name is Clay Zwilling and I serve as the Chief Executive Officer for the National Swine Registry. Uh, we are the breed association that represents the Durhawk, Hampshire, Landrace, and Yorkshire breeds of purebred swine. Uh, that makes up about 85% of all the purebred uh, swine recordings in the United States. Um, as well as managing the association, we host about 14 uh, different events throughout the year, uh, specifically related to junior and open uh, swine shows. And uh, in my responsibilities day to day, I manage staff and kind of oversee our operations of the NSR as well as uh, work through and develop key industry relations partnerships and work with our board of directors. Uh, I grew up in Illinois and uh, attended Lakeland College and Oklahoma State University as well. And I've been with the NSR for three years, but have been in my role for a year and a half now. Well, obviously, COVID-19 has wreaked great havoc on the youth show industry and the ability to be able to operate as we normally do. And so today we want to dig into some of the experiences that you guys have had and what you've learned along the way. But before we get started, I thought it would be interesting to hear from you uh, a little bit about some of the biggest misconceptions out there when it comes to running livestock shows. Um, I think that from the outside, people have their perceptions of what it's like, but, but you guys uh, on the inside know the truth. So tell us, what do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions, Tyler, when it comes to what it takes to run a livestock show? Yeah, there's two things I learned very quickly when I took over. The, the only reason stock shows happen are because of two, two things, sponsors and volunteers. Um, we're not entitled to get the show livestock. Um, it's not a right. It's a privilege. We hear that a lot. Um, but I figured out real quick, if we didn't have our over 100 volunteers that come and work their spring break for free to make this show happen. We could never afford to put it on. And then second of all, if you don't have the sponsors to offset the enormous cost that it takes to put a show of our magnitude on, you're not going to have an event. And, um, I think we as exhibitors, and now I'm talking as a show dad, we take, uh, volunteers and, sponsors for granted. Uh, Clay was fortunate enough to get to work a couple of youth expos here for us and be a big part of it. And uh, He learned a lot getting to go out there and volunteer and work traffic just like I did with him. And you learn uh, when you're a show administrator you and then you become a show dad, you learn to appreciate those people and not take them for granted because it's not a lot of fun sitting out in the parking lot directing traffic and rain and the cold or the heat, whatever it may be, because during the youth expo, it can either be 10 degrees or 100 degrees. We've seen both. And um, so those are two things that, that I've learned behind the scenes that we better be very appreciative of those two demographic sponsors and volunteers because without them, we don't have an industry. Definitely agree. Clay, how do you feel um, from your perspective at the National Swine Registry? What is one of the biggest misconceptions people have? I'd echo Tyler's comments, but then I'd also mention just the the amount of coordination and effort it takes and, and the amount of detail that actually goes into a show because if everything goes right, exhibitors show up at an event and they basically have an easy, smooth check-in process, 
they're able to uh, have a, a safe and fun environment for their young people to exhibit their livestock. They exhibit, they have a desired result, and they get to go home or, or go enter a sale or have their desired outcome. And so that's kind of your, you know, your, your playbook uh, version of going through a livestock show from an exhibitor side. But people don't often realize it takes lining up security and making sure insurance costs are covered and making sure uh, vendors are taken care of and, and going into even such details as making sure you have a cleanup crew scheduled at the right time so trash cans don't get over full and, and, and just very, very subtle small detail. Even as an exhibitor, I didn't even observe it, but I took for granted until I was in my current role, which would require you to think through those things and, of course, have contingency plan on top of contingency plan. And uh, I would say that's probably even more necessary in today's environment than maybe what it ever has been. So, Tyler, tell us what it was like to shut down the Oklahoma Youth Expo. Um, it's remarkable what you had to do in a very short amount of time. So walk us through how you did it and what was going through your mind. For sure. Uh, it was only two and a half months ago, and it seems like forever ago, uh, especially for us and our staff. Uh, Cass Newell, our show manager, and I were talking the other day about how those six days that we were at OYE seemed like the longest six days of our lives as we were going through them because you wake up every morning wondering if you were going to get to finish the day or what was going to happen next. Um, you know, I, I'll remember as long as I have a memory uh, getting a phone call uh, from Todd Kennedy telling me to go watch the news out of Houston that they were canceling the show. And it never crossed my mind that our event might be canceled. Um, and, and then boom, it just, it just hit that we're done or, or that they were done and that the issues were getting serious. And uh, at OYE, we're very blessed to have great relationships with tons of elected officials and public officials in Oklahoma. And my first call was the secretary of agriculture, Blaine Arthur, who many of y'all know. And uh, I said, Blaine, are we going to be able to have this show? What are you hearing? And she said, let me call Dr. Gary Cox, the uh, head of the state health department. And so she gave him a call and, you know, the state basketball tournament was supposed to happen at the Oklahoma State Fairgrounds that weekend and, and didn't know if they were going to keep it and many other events. And uh, we informed the health department, we are going to, con going to continue to operate until you tell us it's not safe for our people to be here. And that's what we hung our hat on the whole time. If uh, the health officials told us we were good to be there, we were going to stay. And it was kind of interesting once we got later on in the show, uh, Secretary Arthur, Blaine Arthur, got a call from USDA. And they said, you realize you're the only event of your magnitude still going on in the United States, not just in Oklahoma, in the United States. And our board and myself said, as long as there's not a health emergency, we're going to continue. So we put some contingency plans in place to get out of there as soon as possible. We continued to talk to the governor and the mayor of Oklahoma City. And then once we got our contingency plan in place, um, the next day on Sunday, March 15th, I believe was the date, we were showing our heifers all in one day. And that evening he had a pet press conference and uh, we had a meeting with the head of the state fairgrounds and our lawyer and with the health emergency there, that's pretty much saying it's not safe to be here and we had to go home. It's one of the toughest decisions we've ever made. When uh, we came back from the fair office to the, to the OYE office there in the barns and we made those announcements at the show ring, just the look and the disappointment on so many faces, I think they understood but a good friend of mine told me it was like everyone was mourning to death. You know, they lost out on something that they needed and those seniors needed closure and we all needed closure with these animals and we know how much time we spend with them and the work we put in. So uh, we got everybody out of there in an orderly fashion on that next day on Monday and went home. But the thing 
that I worried about for the next two weeks was do we have coronavirus on the fairgrounds and all these people go back to rural Oklahoma and then an outbreak, we have outbreaks all over rural Oklahoma. And that didn't happen. And uh, we are not aware, have not been told of one person that came to Oklahoma Youth Expo that ended up testing positive for the coronavirus. There may be some out there, but we don't know about them. So it goes to show we, we feel like we did the right thing. We held on there as long as we could. And, and I tell you, people were so appreciative. Uh, my chairman and vice chairman of my board told me they've never been thanked more than they were this year for putting on a stock show from all the families that got to go as long as we could. So, um, you know, it seems like forever ago, uh, but it's a little different with it happening in the middle, the coronavirus happening in the middle of your event instead of leading up to your event. And uh, it was an experience I don't ever want to live again, but I sure learned a lot through it. You know, with my past having spent about 10 years of my career um, putting on shows and events, um, as I thought about what you were going through, I just had a lot of empathy for you because I remember scares with H1N1 and and different things, uh, foot and mouth disease, things that they were concerned about. And so over the years, you know, those are those tough things. But to be in the middle of a show and have to figure out all the logistics of shutting it down... um, quite overwhelming. And I'm sure, Clay, you know, you guys are close and and I know that you had to kind of be sick to your stomach when you heard the news too, because you guys had sales lined up and lots of shows lined up this year. How has that impacted you guys? And what were some of the thoughts that went through your mind when you heard that news? And I'll, uh, I, uh, much like Tyler, remember kind of when everything broke initially and I'll never forget I was actually sitting in my office working on uh, my presentation for our annual meeting and I was on the slide that I put together of what keeps me up at night and so I had put things in like for animal disease and market trends and some of those and I saw the news about Houston breaking and I uh, I wasn't really sure, you know, we'd obviously had a little bit of knowledge about COVID-19, but really hadn't experienced a broad impact of it yet. And I remember from the time uh, that I heard initially about Houston until that Friday, uh, that was when sports started getting canceled, some of those type of events. And I remember putting a big picture of COVID-19, the actual coronavirus, on my presentation, thinking that I'd actually still get to present that at a live meeting. And, uh, you know, as, as things progress through OIE, uh, I think all of us were just extremely optimistic and hopeful that the show was going to get to continue. And we, we kind of all realized, I think, uh, at least from an external perspective, OIE was going to set the precedence of what stock shows would look like for the rest of the spring. And so if OIE could happen and get through, uh, we were all extremely optimistic. And then obviously when that news came, uh, I think it kind of just took kind of a, uh, knock the breath out of us from an industry perspective. And so from that point forward, uh, I much like, uh, you know, I thought about Tyler and Cass and I thought if I was in that situation, the last thing I would want is a text message or call because they're too busy trying to manage things on the the ground. And so uh, immediately we went into, okay, what are our contingency plans and how do we need to proceed forward? And and obviously it's it's made a lot of changes. We've had to cancel uh, four events total, two actual shows, uh, leadership conference, and then our annual meeting. And, uh, you know, I think our biggest perspective has been, uh, you know, we've been so focused, and Jennifer, you'll as, be as well-versed in this as anyone, we've been so f- focused on animal health for the last two years 
in relation to foreign animal disease and how we do proper biosecurity protocols and how we continue to have safe events for animals that uh, we never really considered a human pandemic. And that came to the forefront for us very quickly. And one of the positives I think that's come out of this is we've learned that a lot of our biosecurity protocols for animals are very similar to humans. And so we feel like, especially from our organization, our perspective, we feel very well poised to put in safety protocols to assist to make sure that exhibitors and families and participants are safe and can feel safe as long as we follow federal, state, and local health guidelines. So Tyler, talk to us a little bit about some of those lessons that you learned from, from dealing with COVID-19 and your show shutdown. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it, it just reemphasized a lot of things I've been told and taught by those I respect in the industry. You know, when I took this job, the general manager for the state fair told me, congratulations, you're a liability manager now. And that's Clay alluded to that a little bit about running a show. And, you know, it, it made me remember that for sure. A kind of a funny story, you know, last year, everybody knows, and Clay likes to give me a hard time about the PED outbreak we had at OIE. And um, with African swine fever hanging out there, I went to the board last June and said, I think we need to purchase a cancellation policy for animal disease and African swine fever in case it happens in the United States and our hog show gets canceled. That'd be a huge hit on us. We need to purchase a policy. They said, absolutely do it. So I call my insurance agent. They send me a quote for that. And then they have another quote. And I said, what's this other quote? They said, that's for a human uh, pandemic outbreak, human disease. I was like, we will never need that. We're not buying that ever. And it was like five times the price. My board's like, we're not buying that. And we probably couldn't have cashed it in this year because our event did happen, even though it was half. But it reminded me, you better look at every angle and uh, have yourself insured and covered from a liability standpoint. So uh, that's one thing I learned. The other thing I learned is you cannot communicate enough with your patrons during something like that. Every day I or myself or someone from my team would go to the hog barn where the biggest crowd is and give them an update. And every time I walked out and took the microphone, it just looked like they'd seen a ghost. They were scared to death. I was fixed to say the show's canceled. And then whenever you told them the show was continuing, it was the loudest eruption I've ever heard at a livestock show. You know, they were so excited. And, uh, but we just communicated all that we could possible. You know, I think some people got frustrated because they're like, well, what's the plan? What's the plan? Well, you don't, you don't know. It's just like, we're going to have a show again tomorrow. And then, uh, but, but you cannot communicate enough with people during that time. If you shut them out, it's just going to make things worse. And, um, you know, we, we kind of tease, we, we loved over communicated OYE. I mean, we, we like to announce our judges for the next year at the current year's event, you know, and, and let them know who's judging or let them any, know of any rule changes we're going to make. And the more you communicate, the more people have confidence in your ability to lead and to uh, run a stock show. So those are probably the two things. Oh, and the last thing is make sure you have a really good lawyer because uh, Jennifer Callahan is our lawyer, Gerald Callahan's wife that runs Express Ranches, and she was just tremendous for us through this whole thing and making sure we had no exposure um, as Oklahoma Youth Expo by continuing to have the show. Uh, because, you know, if you take a wrong step during something like this and the worst happens, uh, your show could end forever. And that's what you got to keep in mind. Don't make irrational decisions that are going to affect the long-term future of your event. 
So speaking of future of events, um, Clay, I don't know what you can talk about. I feel like you're, you're just changing your course probably feels like daily. So talk to us about what's ahead for the National Spine Registry. Um, I know you mentioned you've had four changed events. Um, how does the rest of the year look for you and what's the latest update? And I think that's a good question. And I'll step back by first saying, I think that uh, Tyler's point about communication is key. And, and I've shared with our staff and our boards a great deal that we need to follow the OIE model of communication whenever possible, which is just provide as many updates and provide information when it's available. And I know for some people, uh, we, we may not be perceived to communicate enough, but in those cases, it's probably because we don't have the answers or we don't have the information. And I think that's one of the challenges of navigating uh, this current situation we're in. But um, as I alluded to earlier, uh, we had to uh, cancel our annual meeting as well as our National Youth Leadership Conference. But then from a show and sale perspective, uh, the, the NSR weanling extravaganza was uh, canceled. And then obviously our latest was uh, shifting our focus on a June exposition into a joint event in July in Des Moines with certified pedigreed swine and, and American Berkshire Association along with Team Purebred. And what I'll say is, uh, you know, to Tyler's point, one of the things that I think has been challenging for us that I don't know if everybody has probably thought through is, in one sense, you know, Tyler being at a show in a specific state in Oklahoma and having boots on the ground in Oklahoma is a huge benefit because those relationships are developed. They're very tight and that's consistent for us. Uh, we're looking at multiple states across multiple places in the country with staff that change. There's turnover. And of course, as we were preparing for the June exposition in a totally new location, and there were a lot of advantages for that at the time, obviously with us being located in Indiana, we had probably some more information and boots on the ground than maybe we initially would have had in another state or two. But um, that's that's really been what I'll say has been us as we look forward because uh, we're, we're essentially sitting in a situation where we're having to communicate with at least three to not sometimes five different states as well as their health departments, their uh, local officials, their uh, you know government officials. We've sent proposals, uh, for example, when we were working through our summer type conference contingency plannings, um, you know, the Kentucky uh, Commission had put together a group of people through the governor of Kentucky to evaluate the ability to have a show. And so, um, you know, we're doing that all while still working through and trying to see uh, you know, if we can still have and plan a, an event in Des Moines. And at this point, we still have clearance and we're, we're working through those plans. And so um, that's kind of the short-term perspective. And then the long-term is uh, very similar to what I think everyone's experiencing. And, and Jennifer, you're probably as well suited in this being in Illinois that, uh, you know, people are just wondering when things are going to quote unquote return to normal. And, and, and I don't think any of us really know that for sure. But as we look through where our events are coming up in the fall, we're optimistic that we think uh, as long as we don't see any um, large spikes or, or major outbreaks related to COVID-19, uh, we're optimistic we can have events. And, and our whole philosophy, to just be pretty candid and frank, is we're going to plan events and we're going to do our part to try and have a safe live event until we're told not to. And I think that, um, and th that's something I want to commend Tyler and the crew at OIE. It's as you follow those communications, it seemed like, and we know OIE was doing everything they could to keep the show going. 
And when the ultimate decision was made that the show had to stop and be canceled, it was because human uh, safety and interaction was in jeopardy. And so we've kind of followed that same philosophy. Um, and I know a lot of people, I got a lot of feedback leading up to the announcement uh, regarding the change from Indiana to uh, Iowa. And people said, well, we know you know the answers. We were just holding on to it. And frankly, we didn't. We, we wanted to hold on as long as we could uh, to try and have a safe live event and be proactive and establish policies that would allow us to do that and not just be reactive or premature in our decision making. And so um, as we look to hopefully now a live event in uh, July in Des Moines, uh, that's been our thought process as well. And I think that uh, one thing that's important, and, and Tyler conveyed it very well, is it's not just we get to go to an event and we're good to go if the uh, fairgrounds or the event center says we're good to go. We have to get clearance from state, local government. We have to make sure the health department's on board. And then, of course, once you get those clearances, then you have to follow guidelines. And so uh, as we look at things like crowd size and, and social distancing, then we have to look at do we have the ability Ability to put in provisions to allow for those things to ultimately have a safe environment for a live event. And so those are the things that we have to be in constant consideration for. Um, I, I've kind of said a little bit tongue in cheek, I feel like swine shows have been practicing social distancing from a showmanship perspective for quite some time. You should always be six to 10 feet away from the judge and uh, some of those things. And we truly think that we can put in provisions to have a safe event but ultimately, uh, as Tyler can echo as well, we have to follow the guidelines that are put in place by our, our local and state and national officials. And if decisions are made, uh, generally those decisions are coming from a standpoint of, of public and uh, human health. And we never want to put that in jeopardy uh, just, to, uh, just to potentially try and have a live event. So, Clay, what's the biggest challenge that you faced in trying to relocate? shows? I think the biggest challenge right now has been just the sheer logistics because I don't think, you know, we're obviously very indoctrinated into the livestock industry. And so as many are aware that will listen to this and especially the three of us on this podcast, there are multiple species shows that are having to move and work through and develop solutions. And there's only a limited places where large events can go with livestock. Plus, then you put on the, the level of, uh, you know, what are the local and state health guidelines and, and, you know, not to throw any stones, but basically we all know that we can't have an event in Illinois anytime soon, probably at least till August, if not later. And so when you start eliminating states, then you have not only just livestock groups that are trying to go to the same place, but then expand it to any type of event. So we've been interacting with folks that put on rodeos, car shows, craft shows. Uh, you know, there was a, a comic convention that was going on in Indianapolis. And so there's all these different events that are essentially in the same situation that many of these association and, and large livestock shows are in that are trying to go to the same places at the same time and put in similar provisions. And so it's, it's almost like we're getting backlogged and into a funnel where we only have a limited amount of places we can go. And then on top of that, we have to follow all the requirements. And so for me, I think that's been one of the really challenging pieces because on the surface, if, if I just look at the situation, I should be able to say, 
well, this state is quote unquote open or is allowing folks to have mass gatherings, just move it to that state. And that seems very simple, but when you peel back the onion, it's far more complex. And especially from the standpoint of finding a facility that's one big enough and then two available. And, any, and, and pretty much any facility in the country that is sizable that can host the scale of events we're talking about is either booked up or there are multiple people trying to get in it at the same time. And it's a matter of seeing what proposal is going to be not only lowest risk for those facilities to make sure we have a safe event, but then also those facilities have essentially had events being canceled two to three months already. So they have to look at it from an economic perspective as well and what makes sense. And so one of the things I've said pretty consistently is I think one of the benefits of us going through this is just as a global population, this is a shared experience like nothing we've ever had before. And when we get a call from a potential facility or, or someone that's putting on an event that says, unfortunately, we can't host an event or, or we don't think we can do it, my reaction has never been frustration or being upset. I'm genuinely empathetic because we're all in the same situation together and we all want to do, we all have a common goal of returning to normal and having events. But if that decision is made, it's a decision made out of the best interest of public health and for the best, basically for our common man. And so I think just the logistical piece has probably been the most challenging for us. So Tyler, talk to me a little bit about how you got through that time. I mean, I feel like when you were in the middle of that stressful situation, you probably um, had to rely on somebody to, to help you through. And so who were, who were some of the people that, that helped you weather those storms? Yeah, well, first and foremost were our chairman and vice chairman, Bob Funk and Jimmy Harrell. Uh, you know, they were both I was in constant communication with both of them. Jimmy was at the show the entire time. Um, one I already mentioned, Jennifer Callahan, our lawyer, was a big help. And then, of course, Blaine Arthur, our secretary of ag, her kids were at their show, and we talked multiple times a day, every day. And then even uh, the governor himself getting to talk to him and his encouragement to keep things going. You know, we are so blessed in Oklahoma to have our so much support from our elected officials and our appointed officials. And when you have those people behind you where in other states they were trying to keep things from happening. And in our state, we were trying to find solutions to help these kids out. And that's what kept me going. And then um, I spent a lot of time walking the barns. If I didn't have a call to be on, I, I wanted people to, to know it's safe, we're good, let's keep going. And the more you can be out amongst the people, I think the more you can build their confidence. So, and then of course our OYE staff, I mean, we just couldn't do it without them, but being with them. so. That's the core group I relied on, and, and that's the core group I rely on every year, quite honestly, whenever we're having an event. So, you know, part of my reason for wanting to gather you guys together is, you know, there's a lot of state fairs and shows canceling right now, and there's a, there's a lot of commotion and excitement about what's next. And so as you guys hear some of these reports, and from your perspective, having run shows, what is your biggest fear um, when you hear that these state fairs and county fairs are canceling? Yeah, it's, it's two things for me is one, are these county and state fairs financially going to be able to survive not having an event? And two, what's going to happen to the livestock show industry? Are we going to lose a lot of the kids that uh, participate in these shows if they don't get to have an opportunity to have a bonus auction? Will they be back next year? 
can they afford to be back next year? And uh, so, you know, I, I hear a lot of rumors, especially out on the West Coast and some with these county shows, are they going to be able to have enough money to have a show long-term if they don't have their fairs and expos this year? And I think the same can be asked about a lot of the state fairs, especially up in the Midwest where y'all are from. Um, so that concerns me greatly. Are we going to have enough outlets to have events? And then the other side is, do we have kids lose interest? And do we, or, and then do you financially, can people continue to do it? Because it is a huge financial burden. As you probably know, Jennifer, as we do at our house, it's not cheap to show livestock. So those are my two biggest concerns. And they're concerns not only for now, but even long-term. What's, what's the economy look like? Clay, do you have any thoughts on that? What's going through your mind? I would agree with Tyler on both those factors. And I think, you know, drilling down a little bit more species specific, uh, you know, obviously one of our challenges, I think, is we see these shows cancel and, and not to take away from the other species, but I think most of us would agree the, the, the shelf life or the ability or the timeline to show a hog is significantly shorter than the other species. And so uh, I think that immediately puts our exhibitors potentially at a disadvantage. And you think about it from a feeding and exhibiting perspective, you hit kind of a target date and that's what you gear that specific animal towards. And, and not, again, not that you can't do that in other species, but just by the natural life cycle of swine, uh, that's just gonna generally be a little bit shorter. And so it's coming up with adaptive solutions from that perspective. The, the other thing that I have concern about as we think through, and, and I applaud people that want to put forth effort to uh, put on alternative events and provide an outlet for these young people to show, I just really caution folks that do that to make sure that you're following federal, state, and local guidelines and, and, and doing it in a safe manner because the last thing that uh, anyone wants or the an industry needs is for a negative outcome to potentially happen at an exposition uh, livestock show of any kind uh, that would inhibit our ability and success to move forward and so uh, again I don't want to discourage people because we have so much passion in our industry and so much positivity and optimism I just ask those folks that are wanting to organize shows to think through all the factors and some of the factors that Tyler and I have discussed today because the last thing we want to do is if we have an ability to get through uh, hopefully what's maybe a short-term problem is to have long-term consequences that would inhibit our ability to have a normal livestock show long-term. And, and of course, as Tyler mentioned, I think there's all the factors related to how we retain participants when uh, if they don't have the ability to show or are uh, young people going to find alternatives uh, to do with their time and, and obviously then the financial aspect as well. But um, those are all very big challenges and I think perspective we all need to have as we kind of navigate these unprecedented waters. I visited with a, a young girl from California who was getting ready for her senior year and of showing livestock and she had to miss out on her county fair and her state fair this year and obviously was pretty disappointed and I've heard a lot of stories of a lot of kids especially my heart goes out to the seniors who um, aren't going to get that state fair that they expected. And so I've heard um, some conversations about California and some of their attempts to have a show. And I've heard that Oklahoma Youth Expo is going to be organizing it. So Tyler, tell us a little bit about how that looks and how you guys came to, to support California out. Absolutely. Uh, it's, you know, you never know where life's going to lead your opportunities. And 
um, in the middle of the pandemic, uh, Curtis Bain, along with Jake Parnell and his wife Molly, reached out. And uh, Curtis had been to Oklahoma Youth Expo several times. His kids show sheep out there. And they came here and watched the sheep show. And he reached out and said, hey, would y'all be interested in coming and putting on a livestock show for us in California? Well, we don't have much to do since our show got canceled early. And, uh, and we were able to have some discussion and work out a deal where we were going to go out and help them put on the California Youth Ag Expo, the first ever. And it's something they want to continue to do long term with us and uh, have it in Tulare there at the uh, fairgrounds of the International World Ag Expo or whatever they call those fairgrounds. It's a privately owned facility. And we're going to do that this August. And we were able to, I was able to fly out there uh, over the last month and kind of set up a framework. And uh, the nominations are actually going to go live June 1st. Uh, for kids to start nominating their animals. We're going to have, it's going to be similar to OYE, all, all four species, uh, male and female breeding show and a market show. And uh, we're going to have a little premium sale with it and sell the top eight animals, do some scholarships. So uh, I'm really excited for the young people of California. Uh, it'll be very interesting to see the numbers we get. Um, I feel very confident that we will have the event that we're working with the local health officials uh, I, I feel positive. So it's exciting for those young people. It's exciting for us to get to be a part of something. And it was just a good fit for both sides. So let's talk about a few of the other opportunities. Um, my kids have been spending quite a bit of time showing in virtual shows um, to pass through this springtime that they would normally be heading out to some jackpot events. So what are some of the things from your perspective and the things that you guys are seeing where you're at that people are doing to try to provide alternative opportunities for young people right now? Go ahead, Clay. I'll let you tackle this one. Well, I think there's uh, several options we've seen that have had some success. Uh, one is obviously the virtual and cyber platform uh, that gives young people the opportunity to uh, to exhibit their animals and, and get some, uh, one, I think, give you experience at home to have an animal that's show ready and also uh, be able to highlight your project on a different type of platform. Uh, obviously, we've heard about some invitational type shows where they can keep crowd size down and then in places uh, uh, where it's possible to have some actual uh, invite shows and practice social distancing and reduce some of the, the space and potentially human contact. Um, I also think that uh, some of the platforms that have come up to allow virtual or online premium auctions have been really good, particularly for uh, the uh, local and, and state level for those shows. Um, you know, obviously from our perspective, we're trying to do that for our breeders as well and providing a, an online boar sale for our breeders to get their livestock merchandised and uh, again, try to keep, uh, keep our business moving and flowing and that of our breeders and our exhibitors. And so, uh, you know, I think these are, are great options. I think they're great opportunities for these young people. Um, I think many of us do genuinely feel, uh, you know, these are, these are what we'd call alternatives or, or options as we uh, navigate these these times. But I think all of us are excited to get to a live livestock show sooner than later. And, and I hope that uh, when we have those opportunities that these will be seen as tools to enhance an experience and not actually be a true replacement. Yeah, d down here in Oklahoma, it's kind of an odd time for us because on the hog side, most people just are buying bears and gilts for the fall shows for Tulsa and Kansas City. So 
our jackpot shows fire up next month or in July. It's not quite June yet, but, um, and, and as of right now, all the, uh, jackpots are scheduled to be held in person. But, um, I think it's really neat what folks are doing. They, they contacted us about doing a virtual show, um, after OYE finished, but you know, so many people, so many young people put their animals on the truck there at OYE on the Monday that we canceled. And it's just, it, it was hard for us to be involved in anything like that. Cause we were trying to unwind the events and make sure everybody got home safe. And we got everything done from a health perspective that we needed to, and weren't able to do that. But I thought it was neat that some folks did that and are doing those shows. And we have seen a lot of, uh, because of the uncertainty of the Tulsa state fair and the Oklahoma state fair down here, we have seen a lot of, uh, uh, breeders decide to have their own futurity shows this fall to guarantee folks that are buying hogs from them. And o these Oklahoma breeders that we're going to have a show for you no matter what. So I think it's neat to see that. So any advice for people who are trying to get replacement shows going? Um, and it, you've shared some things already, but is there anything else that you might advise people to think about before they, they get a replacement show in the books? Yeah. One thing I would encourage people to do is don't abuse the opportunity to possibly have one that things are going are getting back where we can have in-person events and don't end up on social media with 500 people packed in a 10 by 10 room. You know, uh, think about it because how you do your show or what you do could provide consequences for all of us long term getting this thing back to normal. So just kind of use some common sense and don't try to prove a point if you're having a show. Uh, enjoy it, have it, but don't abuse it. I, I'd echo Tyler's points as well. And, and I also think, you know, it's, it's easy when we hear an announcement of a cancellation of something we're passionate about to immediately react and, and quote unquote, rally the troops and get everybody together. I'd really encourage people to step back, take a deep breath and put together some foresight and thought and planning and, and walk through some of the things that Tyler and I have discussed as far as what it takes to put together an event. And I think now more than ever critically have communication with the community and the state that you're trying to plan that event in, because the last thing we want to do is get a plan together, say we're going to have an event, say we're going to provide an alternative solution for young people, and then ultimately find out that that can't happen because we reacted too soon and didn't have all of our, our information correct. And so I would, uh, beyond what Tyler said, which I agree with 100%, I think it's important to, to step back, evaluate the situation, and get a plan together uh, that ultimately allows you to have, if you're allowed to have an event, make it be successful. Additionally, I think it's probably important as well as we're so focused on the human aspect of what we do. Uh, we can't forget that ultimately we have a commitment to our broader industry as well and that these animals ultimately are going to end up in the, in the supply chain and, and be part of uh, the human consumption of protein. And so uh, don't just because we have to focus on social distancing, forget that health protocols for swine and all species are extremely important making sure we're following those as well. And, and ultimately that uh, even though we're focused on the human aspect of it right now, we cannot totally uh, abandon or forget the importance of biosecurity and health of animals. All right. So my last question, how are livestock shows going to change in the future because of COVID-19? Tyler? I, I think that's a great question. Um, I think, Clay mentioned this earlier, there's going to be a lot more of a focus on human health. I think we're going to see a lot more guidelines from the people we rent the facilities from, in my case, the Oklahoma State Fair Park, 
I think we're going to see costs increase uh, to put on an event because of those liability issues we talked about. But I want to end on a positive note. I think the biggest thing we're going to see is a greater appreciation that we get to show livestock from our patrons. And not that we took it for granted, but we probably did a little bit. And we're going to appreciate it a lot more. I think we're going to appreciate the opportunities as a family more and enjoy them. So hopefully we don't ever have to live a nightmare again that we did this March in Oklahoma City. I agree with Tyler as well. And, and I think that probably more from our perspective is, is how do we really go back and focus on what we think the priority of these shows are, which is providing young people and breeders a platform to exhibit animals in a safe and proper manner. And, you know, we've spent a lot of time upscaling events and providing opportunities. And I think all those things have been great. But I think probably from my personal perspective, what this has taught me and what it's taught our organization is we need to really reevaluate what it fundamentally takes to put on an event and focus on those priorities of making sure we provide young people and breeders a platform to exhibit those animals. And, and again, in a, in a safe way possible. And, and uh, you know, for us, it's pushed us a little bit outside of our comfort zone from, and I'll speak specifically maybe more on our breeder side, uh, to, to look at alternative ways of merchandising livestock than maybe what we've typically done in our live format. Um, and, and those are things that frankly, I think have been needed, but uh, it's a positive outcome. Whenever you're pushed outside your comfort zone, whether it's positive or negative, you develop new creative solutions to advance and make your organization and your, your industry better. And I think that's positive and, and to, to keep it positive as well, which, which I think we all are here and the people that are, are managing and, and running livestock shows. I do genuinely think when we come through this, everybody is going to have a greater appreciation for what the livestock industry represents. And as I see it, as specifically to the National Junior Swine Association, this is an experience that these young people are going to take and, and put in a lot of value as they go into long-term careers in the broader pork industry, uh, learning to adapt and deal with with uh, overcoming obstacles and challenges and they can look back on this experience and say, you know, we might not have gotten to show with our, uh, our friends at a few events over that particular summer, but we learned a great deal about uh, what it takes and, and what it means to overcome obstacles. And I think that's going to be a positive outcome for all of us as we uh, hopefully uh, exit COVID-19 fairly quickly. Well, I couldn't agree more. I think our family has said countless times we've learned more during this period than probably ever before. It could be the age that our kids are at, but um, I think they're more receptive to ever. They're more grateful than ever um, and uh, definitely learning to not take it for granted. And I applaud you for both of you for what you've done for the livestock industry, what you do for our young people. Um, I'm so grateful for the leadership that you provide and, and I'm very honored to have had the opportunity to, to visit with you, to hear about the lessons that you've learned. I think that um, in, an incredible moment in livestock history and um, I'm excited to see what's ahead with the um, creative ideas and the problem solving tactics that the livestock industry continues to show um, on all fronts. So thank you again for joining us on Overheard. Thank you for joining us on this week's special edition of Overheard featuring Pork Week. 
For more information about Pork Week, visit porkbusiness.com. We'll see you next time on Overheard.